Good afternoon, Twelvers. It's always a joy to be with you. Thank you. And Lareko, uh, what an honor to serve with you, brother. It's always been a joy. Love ministering with you. Um, it is my privilege and my honor to introduce today our uh, speaker, Pastor Brian. Pastor Brian came uh, um, to Vanderbilt University on a football scholarship in 1997. It was there that God radically changed his life, birthed in him a passion to preach the gospel. It was also at Vanderbilt that he would meet uh, an even better athlete, his wife, <laughs> Shavon. Do I pronounce that correct? Shavon. Uh, in 2002, Brian began working in full-time ministry after completing the school of, of school of Ministry. Brian returned to Nashville, where he served as a campus director for Every Nation Campus Ministry and several campuses, including Vanderbilt, Tennessee State, uh, the Fisk University. He also helped to lead several mission trips to places such as India, South Africa, Jamaica, and Haiti. And that's why we probably got so well along as well. <laughs> Same passion. In 2007, Brian and his family moved to Orlando, Florida, to serve alongside Pastor Tim Johnson in starting the Orlando World Outreach Center. He has served as a youth and campus pastor, associated pastor, and has seen God do amazing things uh, on the University of Central Florida. Uh, while in Florida, he also complete, completed his Master of Arts uh, at Asbury Theological Seminary and recently finished his uh, Doctorate of ministry, uh, of ministry at Asbury Theological Seminary. In, in 2013, uh, Tim Taylor moved to Cincinnati uh, to launch the Bethel Cincinnati Church. Siobhan worked alongside with Brian as, uh, as he pastors and leads the church. Uh, they have three beautiful children, Elijah, Sanaya, and Yosha. Can we just welcome Pastor Brian as he comes up? <laughs> Pastor Brian, what an honor. Thank We've you, got a small Tio. gift for you. Thank you for helping us launching our Reed series. There's a Reed um, journal for you and your wife. Great. All right, awesome. All right. we appreciate it. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Actually, I don't, I don't, I don't need this right here. They got me mic'd right. up. They got me prepared. How are y'all doing today? I don't know if y'all is a statement that y'all say a lot here in South Africa, but just to bring you back to a little bit of U.S., how y'all doing? <laughs> anyway, it is a joy to be here. Let me just say this. Um, I've been to South, uh, South Africa uh, a few times, but this is my second time here in Johannesburg. And the first time was back in 2004. Um, by the way, when he said that I, you know, got a scholarship back in 1997, I was like, that sounds old. <laughs> it, it doesn't it sound old, you know. So um, I do have to say this, guys. I'm spending my birthday with you today. I am 41 <laughs> years old, so much love. Um, so... I used to get mistaken as a campus mission, you know, as a student when I was a campus missionary years ago. They're like, are you a student? I'm like, no, I'm a campus missionary. They don't seem to make that mistake anymore. Um, 
for, for whatever reason. But anyway, I, I love this church. I love your leaders. Love your pastor. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Thank you, Pastor. I, I just love being here. Pastor Simon, Pastor um, Roger, these are men that I've admired and respected from afar. And let me just tell you, I feel at home today. I really feel at home today. You know, um, I don't know if they're doing this after this service, but after uh, one of the services earlier, I know they had kind of a taste of the nations. Y'all doing that again? Because there's nothing like being in another nation longing for some other, some food that reminds you back home. And so you get a chance to taste the nations. It's, it's a great thing. And so, you know, as the people of God, we get a chance to be a taste of heaven on earth. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he taught them to pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, God's plan is not simply forget people from earth to make it to heaven. God's desire is to bring heaven to earth. And if you want to know what does heaven look like, take a look in Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 7. What you'll see is people from every nation, tribe, tongue, worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords together. So we have an opportunity when people walk into this place to be an expression of just what heaven tastes like here on earth. Isn't that good news? All right. Well, let me just introduce my crew real quick. I know... Um, Pastor TM mentioned their names, but this is my wife, um, Siobhan. Her name is Siobhan, and yes, she was a better athlete because um, when you still go into our university, you still have a life-size picture of her um, in the gym somewhere. There is no um, remembrance that I went there. I was like, I, did, I played here too. Um, but, but anyway, and then you got my oldest that's hugging, uh, hugging my shoulder. That is Elijah Taylor, a.k.a. the Evangelist. Um, he loves him some Jesus, I'm going to tell you. And um, my, my middle daughter, Sanaya, if she was here, she'd be saying, watch dad, watch dad, watch dad. She always loves to do flips and backflips. And, and that is Joshua, Joshua Taylor. This is a little bit old. He's five years old now. Um, if you look at his face, that kind of tells you his personality because he's that type of, you know, like it looks like he's about to get in something, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's him. So that is my family and you know what, I, I, I miss them, but if I'm not there with my family, I can't think of a better way to spend today than with you all. So let me just start by asking this question. How many of you have ever heard of the escape game? Anybody ever heard of that before? Let me explain it just so, so you can understand what it is. The, the idea of the escape game is that you have a group of people and you go into a room. They don't lock the doors, by the way. And the, the goal is to follow different clues until you finally make it out, and you hope to get out within 60 minutes. And if you get out after, before 60 minutes is up, you have officially escaped. So that is the idea of the escape game. It's actually a blast. Let me just tell you. And so recently, actually um, in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I am, we opened up a, an escape game. And so I thought, what a great opportunity for our church staff to kind of get to know each other and hang out and have a good time. So I brought the staff and, you know, kids, and we came there. We had a really big group, so they broke us up into two groups. Now, they put the kids in my group, and I'm, I'm not using that as any kind of excuse. I just want you to know that all the kids went in, in my, my group. And so the other group, they went, and you know what? Before 60 Minutes was up, they escaped. And so when you escape, you get this sticker, this bumper sticker that you can put on your wall or you can put on your car, and it says, I escaped. 
you take pictures, and they're taking these pictures, and it's like, man, isn't this nice? We escaped. But as we were going, we didn't quite finish. Now, here's what I realized is that we too got a sticker. But instead of saying we escaped, it said we almost escaped. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but I'm probably not going to put that on the back of my car. Hey, guys, I almost escaped. In fact, while I'm taking a picture, what you'll find is that I was trying to cover up the almost on there because nobody celebrates almost. And I started thinking, I was like, perhaps there might be some of us in here that if there was a bumper sticker that represented our lives, it would be almost. I almost got in shape. I almost started eating right. I almost took that job. Or, or maybe... I almost went on that missions trip. I almost got committed to living for Jesus. I almost signed up to start serving in the church. I almost. But here's the question. What happens when you go beyond almost? See, we're starting a series today entitled Reach. And today we're going to be talking about reaching the nations. And I believe God is inviting each and every one of us to join him on the mission of reaching the nations together. But here's the thing. In order for us to do that, we're going to have to be a people that goes from almost to all in. We're going to look at a man today in Genesis chapter 12 that went all in, that God was able to use in an amazing way. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. We'll actually start in 4a, kind of the, the first half of verse 4. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. I'm going to entitle this today, Faith for the Mission. Faith for the Mission. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you today for all that you have done. Lord, I thank you for the example that we see in the life of Abraham. Lord, I pray that this will not just be information, but I pray that this will become transformation in our lives. Lord, we need you to open up our hearts so you can speak like only you can. In Jesus' name, can we all say together, amen. All right. Now, we all know the, the scenario where we're watching a television program Maybe you're watching a game, and as you're watching the game, it's interrupted by a commercial, and a TV trailer, a movie trailer comes on. And the trailer lasts, what, maybe 30 seconds, a minute, and it kind of takes a few scenes back to back. It's entertaining. It's a little bit engaging. You look at this scene, and it's great, and then after 30, 30 seconds or a minute, what happens? You go right back to your normal television show. So imagine with me that a week later you go and you watch the movie. And after you watch the movie, you come back and you're watching television again. And as you're watching your show, that same movie tra trailer comes back on. What's different this time? 
when you watch this movie trailer. You've watched the entire movie. So when you see a scene on the movie trailer, you are able to connect that scene to an overall storyline that makes more sense. It's not just entertaining for 30 seconds. Now you can say, oh, that's when this happened over here, or that's this part of the story. Why do I bring this up? It's because the, the way that many people read the Bible is like a movie trailer. Huh, this is interesting. And we get, we get encouraged for the moment, but my hope is to help us see what we read in Scripture and connect it to a larger narrative of what God has been doing throughout the course of redemptive history. And so when we look at the Bible as a whole, Genesis 12 is one of the primary texts for us to understand, to be able to look at the storyline of the Bible. And so before I jump into really breaking down what's going on in Genesis chapter 12, I want to just do a little run-through of what's going on through Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11. Don't get worried. You guys are like, well, that's going to take a long time. I'm just going to do a run-through real quick, all right? So I'll get you out of here in three hours. So I'm just... Before three hours, you guys, okay, let's make sure you're all awake. All right, so, so let's start in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we have the story of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it goes through giving us a picture of what God does on day one, day two, day three, all the way up until he rests on the seventh, seventh day. And when we get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, after God has created everything, guess what he says about his creation? He says, it's supposed to be verse 31, he says that everything is very good. But then we look around our world today, how many of you guys know that everything in our world is not very good? Something happened. So in Genesis chapter 2, what we find is that we also get another angle of looking at creation, but then we also get a command from God. He says in verses 16 and 17, you're free to eat from all these trees here, but only from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat it, for the day you eat it, you shall surely die. Not good news, but he's letting us know, okay, I'm warning you. So Genesis chapter 3, you know what happens in Genesis chapter 3? We get what's called the fall. And so we have Eve, who's tempted now by Satan. And as she's tempted, what you'll find is that although God gave everything for them to enjoy, after everything that God had done for Adam and Eve, guess what she was left to feel like? God is holding out on you. See, this is what happens to a lot of people is that after all the blessings and all the things that God has done, we still sometimes find ourselves thinking that if I serve God, I am missing out. So she gets to a place, and there's a lot we can say there if we wanted to spend a lot of time, um, but I know you guys want to get lunch at some point. But, but what we find is that she stopped trusting what God said, and she started trusting what she felt. And so she took from the tree, she ate it, and she handed it over to Adam, who did not put up any fight whatsoever. He ate it, and then what happens in this moment is that there is a break in the relationship between God the creator, who created everything good, and his people. And the reason we know that is because when God came walking through the garden, what did Adam and Eve do? They covered themselves with fig leaves, 
And out of fear, they went and they hid themselves from the presence of God. So now when sin has entered in, fear has also entered in. And so we see a breach in the relationship between God, the creator, and man. We know this happens because later on in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, it tells us, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, and his ears are not too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. You know that you can actually be in a room like this, and you can still be separated from God. See, there is a separation that took place in Genesis chapter 3 that set the course of the rest of human history. While man ran away from God, God called after man. And so when we look in Genesis chapter 4, we see a downward spiral of sin from Genesis chapter 4 to Genesis chapter 11. I know some people like to argue about evolution, but this seems to imply that there's some de-evolution going on because things go from bad to worse. Okay, Genesis chapter 4, we have Cain murdering his brother because of jealousy and envy. And then as we go a little bit further, we see wickedness in one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Here's what it says. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and, they, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Do we have a little bit more that goes on? And then it talks about how he regretted that he even made man. And so what we read in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, we have the story of Noah. And God wipes out, because of judgment, all the people. But even in judgment, God shows mercy. Because he still spares Noah and his family. And so it seems like, okay, now... Genesis chapter 10, we've got a fresh start. Maybe things are going to go a little bit better this time. But what we find is that we've not just been affected by the sin of Adam, we've been infected by the sin of Adam. And because of that, it's like a volleyball. You know, if you've ever been in water, you try to hold a beach volleyball underwater, eventually it pops right back up. And the sin in humanity kept popping back up. So much so that when we get to Genesis chapter 11, we have the Tower of Babel. And what the Tower of Babel was, was a monument to the pride and arrogance of man. So now in Genesis chapter 3, we had the fall. Genesis chapter 4, we had murder. Genesis chapter 6, we see wickedness, so much so that God has to wipe out the earth. Genesis chapter 11, we see pride and arrogance in the Tower of Babel. So by the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, it looks like this whole creation story is not going too well. If God had said at that point, I am done with humanity, nobody would have had the right to look at him and fault him. In fact, let's just be honest. If we were in that same position, we would have wiped things out pretty, pretty quickly, wouldn't we? But what we find is that God begins to change the narrative in Genesis chapter 12. Anybody glad that God knows how to change the narrative? And so now let's read Genesis chapter 12 in light of all that background. Here's what we see. I'm just going to read it from here. The Lord had said to Abram, 
Now, we see the name Abram. Abram means exalted father. Later, he's renamed Abraham, which means father of a multitude. So I'll use Abram and Abraham interchangeably. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Many people want to stop there. Oh, man, if I come to Jesus, I'm going to be blessed. But it doesn't stop there. What does he say? And all peoples. Can everybody say all peoples? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I want you to notice something here. We see a downward spiral of humanity. And in the midst of that, God steps in and has a conversation with Abraham. Notice in the story, it was the God who was offended that pursued the people of, that's offend, that were the offenders. In the gospel message, it's the offended that pursues the offender. God now comes to Abraham and he lets him know, listen, I have a plan and I'm going to invite you into this plan. And my plan involves blessing the nations, the people, the ethnos of the world. We're going to bless all the people of the world, Abraham, and you get to be a part of it. But here's the, here's the catch. You're invited to be a part of it, but it's going to call you, call you to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust me. And I want to notice a few things that we notice about Abraham. A few things that we notice about his willingness to trust God, to join God on his mission to bless the nations. Here's the first thing. He was willing to trust God even when he didn't have all the answers. You know, this is later referred back to in Hebrews chapter 11. Anybody ever read through Hebrews chapter 11? That's a great chapter of faith right there. And, and here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God, uh, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, let me just tell you this. This, this passage had real, real personal um, weight for me because when I was praying about going into the ministry, going into vocational ministry. When I'm a Christian, I'm called into ministry. But when I was praying about going into vocational ministry and raising a partnership team and all those things, I was a little bit scared because I did not know what it was going to be like. And I remember reading this in my own devotional time, and I underlined it. And next to my Bible that I wrote many years ago, I underlined it and I wrote, I will stand on this. See, there was something about being in that place of realizing, God, I have no idea what this is going to look like. I don't know what it's going to be like for me to step out and say, yes, Lord, because I had a lot of plans in my life and, you know, full-time ministry just didn't fall into it. And so I realized that if I'm going to have to obey God, it means sometimes I'm not going to have all the answers. Could you imagine what it would have been like for Abraham as he's heading to this place? Because you know there's people around him that had to have some questions. Um, where are we going again? This direction. So how are we going to know when we get there? We're just going to know. Where are we going to stay? We're going to know. 
I mean, have you ever had to lead people when you didn't have all the answers? That's a challenging thing. But here's the thing. If we're going to join God in his mission, it means that we're going to have to trust him even when we don't have all the answers. See, see, Abraham couldn't have skipped over. You know, sometimes we think that they could just kind of skip pages in the Bible. When you're living in chapter 12, you can't skip over to chapter 17. And so he didn't have all the word that we have today in terms of in the scripture, but here's what he did have. He had a word from God. And faith begins where God's will is made known. When God speaks clearly, and God had spoken clearly even in my own life, and I was secure, this is what I am called to do, then even though there was a lot of answers that were left, un, a lot of questions left unanswered, I was confident I got a word. I got a word. But then you look here, it's not only that he was willing to trust God even when he didn't have all the answers, but he was willing to trust God when it got uncomfortable. See, don't we love the part of, I'm going to bless you? And if we're really honest, we like that part. It's like anybody, you know, shows you contempt, I'm going to curse them too. It's like that, get them, God. I might not lay a hand on you, but if God wants to get you, I ain't mad. And, and so, so here's, here's what it's saying. We, we love that. I want to be a blessing to the nations. We love coming in here. But here's the thing. Don't forget about verse 1. Verse 1, he says, he had, um, it says this in Genesis 12, verse 1. He says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So in order for Abraham to join God on the mission, it meant that he had to be willing to get uncomfortable. What happens many times when we follow Jesus, we come and we're following Jesus up to the point that it causes us to be a little bit uncomfortable. See, one of the things I love about our congregation is similar to this, is that when you walk into our church, it's like, man, is this a white church or a black church or is this an Asian church? What kind of church is this? I love that. People walk in, they're like, oh, this is just great. This is great. But make no mistake about it. If you live in this long enough, there will be moments that you will feel uncomfortable. And you have to realize that we don't just follow God up to the point of discomfort. We have to follow him even when it feels uncomfortable. This is what God was calling for Abraham to have to do. So will we follow God when we don't have all the answers and follow God when it gets uncomfortable? But here's the thing that we also see is that he was willing to trust God. He was willing to trust God even when it looked impossible. See, God told him, You're gonna, I'm going to make a nation out of you. There's going to be a nation that's going to come forth from you. Here's the problem. You see at the end of verse 4, he's 75 years old. Now, I imagine that it's similar here as it is to where I'm from. Most 75-year-olds are not having babies. <laughs> not saying you couldn't, but it just, it just didn't happen. But, but in the natural process of things, this was not going to happen unless God supernaturally intervened. When's the last time God put you in an impossible situation? We all love miracles. We just don't like being put in a place where miracles are necessary. And see, what we find is that if this was going to happen, then it was going to require God does something beyond what they were able to do on their own. How many of you guys know that's a great place to be? Not a comfortable place to be, but that's a good place to be. And then what we find here and how this happened, we see the response of Sarah looking back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Do we have that up there? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. 
That's all right. I brought my Bible today too. So here's what it says in verse 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Listen, when I don't understand the how, I trust the who. See, I don't know how this is going to all work out, God. I don't know how you're going to use me in this nation. I don't know how you're going to reach, help me to reach people in my neighborhood. But God, if you call me because you are faithful, I can trust you. And so even if it looks impossible, looks difficult, looks beyond what I could do, I, I, I just did not know what it was going to be like in ministry for me. I, I was like, am I taking a vow of poverty? What is this? But what I knew is that, God, you are faithful. See, uh, where, where I'm from, if you want to get a loan, what you have to be able to do is prove your credit. You have to have good credit. And the way that they find your credit is they look at your history. So if you've had a lot of bills that you never paid, your credit score is going to be low. And if you have a low credit score, you're not going to be able to take out a mortgage for a house or something like that. Now, listen, when we look at God, his credit history is perfect. When I look back over my life and I say, I may not know what it's going to look like over there, but when I was over here and I was like, God, I'm not sure how I'm going to get out of this. You provide it. And when I prayed over here and I said, God, I am losing my mind, he gave me peace. And when I felt discouraged over here, God gave me joy. And when I said, God, how am I going to get it out? God met me every place of the way. So even when I don't understand the how, I can trust the who. And so now... We see that Abraham and Sarah, if we read a little bit later on, God used them to have this uh, child, and, and eventually they had the child of promise. This child's name was Isaac. You know what the name Isaac means? Laughter. Why would they call his name Laughter. Because you ever had God work something out so, so grand that you're like, okay, God, <laughs> this is just, God, that had to be you that did that. Because I know me. I know me. So if this happened, it's because you, God, made it happen. And so his name was Isaac, which means laughter. Isaac eventually grew up. And Isaac ended up marrying Rebekah. And Rebekah and Isaac had two children. They were twins named Jacob and Esau. Jacob was later renamed Israel. This is the man who wrestled with God. Israel had 12 sons, later known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And throughout the people of Israel, they became a nation, and God began to reveal himself. But it was never just about Israel. It was about God's heart through Israel to bless the nations. And God began to reveal himself through the course of history, through the people of Israel. And eventually, we get to the New Testament. And the very first verse of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, says this. Very first verse. This is the genealogy of Jesus. How many of you guys love reading the genealogies? So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. Begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, right? I mean, that's kind of how it feels sometimes, right? But here's the genealogy of Jesus. First verse of the New Testament. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So now Jesus is about to complete the story that the Old Testament has been telling. And now when Jesus comes on the scene, 
the promise that was made to Abraham is now to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, this is the good news of the gospel, that God became man in the person of Jesus and that he lived the life that we were supposed to live, that sinless life, that life of loving others and miracles and and perfect obedience. But then he also died the death that we were supposed to die in our place, meaning that Jesus not only died for us, but he also died as us. Three days later, what happened? He rose from the dead, proving that he truly is the Son of God, offering hope and salvation for those who would repent and turn to him. And before he goes and goes back to the Father, Jesus spent a period of about 40 days with his disciples. And on his last appearance, he tells them something at the end of Matthew. It's in chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, isn't this a beautiful thing here? Now, back in Genesis chapter 12, God invited Abraham to join him on a mission to bless the nations. And all throughout the course of the Old Testament, you see God revealing himself to the people of Israel. And then Jesus comes on the scene, fulfilling the story that's told in the Old Testament. And then finally, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, he now invites his disciples, his followers, to join him on the mission that goes all the way back to Genesis. Go and make disciples of all nations. We get to join a mission that has been going on for centuries of making disciples. We are all invited. But here's the thing. In order for us to join Jesus on this mission, it means that we're going to have to trust God even when we don't have all the answers. And it means that there's going to be times where it's going to get a little bit uncomfortable. And God's going to tell you and call you to do some things that you don't really want to do. You know how it is when, when God tells you something that you don't really want to do, you kind of spiritualize your disobedience. I'm just going to pray about it, you know. You don't have to pray about going. He's already said it. It's not like the voice of God is going to tell you something different than what the Word of God has already said. And then we, we, we have to be willing to go beyond our comfort. And then we have to be willing to allow God to put us in places that, God, if you don't show up, it ain't going to happen. It was impossible situations. And perhaps some of us, we can be in here and we can celebrate the nations and praise God for the nations. But I believe that some of you are listening to a personal invitation to join the story that has been going on throughout the course of history to help be a blessing to the nations. But he's saying you're going to have to be willing to come out of your comfort zone. That means you're going to have to love on some people that you normally wouldn't hang out with. In fact, you're going to have to open up your home. Well, I don't really like having people in my home. It's kind of like my private area, you know, and, and God is like, well, I normally would ask people to do it, but since it makes you uncomfortable, you know, and I hate to make you uncomfortable. You know, of course, I've got other um, children of God that are giving their lives for the gospel, but hey, you know what? I don't want you to have to be uncomfortable and let somebody in your house that you don't want. Sarcasm is a big thing in the U.S., I'm sorry. But, 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 but you, you, you see what I'm saying, right? We, we've got to be willing, and, and I believe for some of us, the question is, will we trust God 
and join him on his mission. The mission didn't start with us. The mission didn't start with every nation. The mission didn't start with, um, with, with, with the evangelicals. The mission started with God back in Genesis. His heart has always been for the nation. Let me just pray for us here. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the example that we see in Scripture. Lord, all throughout the course, from Genesis to Revelation, we see your heart for the nations. But God, it's not just good enough for us to admire the work that you're doing. You're calling us to join the work that you're doing. So God, I pray for those today that right now they are, they are, they are wrestling in their minds of what does this mean for me right now. In fact, for some of you right now, let me just say this as we're in an attitude of prayer. For some of you right now, you don't even have to guess. You know exactly what it is that God is calling you to do. I don't know exactly the specifics in each person, but when I'm talking about this, you know that God is telling you, trust me in this. Maybe it's time for you to start serving. Maybe it's time for you to start loving on a neighbor. Maybe it's time for you to start interacting and engaging people who maybe look a little bit different than you. Maybe it's time for you to actually go. Some of you may be called to go to other nations. Whatever it is, I want your response to be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It makes me uncomfortable. Trust him anyway. But I don't know how everything's going to work out. I've got some details that I've got to get sorted. Trust him anyway. But God, I know in my own power, I'm not able to do it. Trust him anyway. Faith begins where God's word and will is made known. Lord, help us today to trust you and to follow you all the way and join you on this mission to reach the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.